You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Oh, we've been getting the word out uh, about the launch of our second service and really two new service times, 9 and 1045. And uh, if you are regular attender, member of our church, uh, you probably got something in the mail. If not, we have uh, some brochures kind of explain our vision uh, for this change. Uh, it has a lot to do with um, some logistical things of just uh, space capacity and uh, new people coming every week in our sanctuary and running out of room in our kids' rooms, but, but so much more than that, really driven from our vision as a church. And uh, the one big question that's been asked, I want to answer it really quickly. The answer is yes. Uh, we will have donut holes both services. And um, you really give me a lot of confidence that you're, you're willing to suffer for Jesus in this, you know, when that's, that's your main question. You know, we're, we're crossing size barriers in our church, we're growing in our ministries, and you're like, that's good and all, but what's the donut situation? So, if you're with us or, or been, you know, maybe you're, you're visiting uh, today for the first time, glad you're here, I invite you into this important conversation. Uh, it's about who we are as a church and our calling and where we are headed and where, where God is, is leading us. And um, this is a great Sunday, actually, to visit, some of you who are new. Uh, this isn't an exclusive family conversation. The conversation specific enough to apply to our church and a specific people in a specific city in a specific area of town at a specific time in our lives, uh, and yet it's broad enough for anyone to join in and to kind of see what God is doing in our church, but also what he invites you into as, as um, followers of Jesus. And so it's a conversation about our calling. It's a conversation that started uh, years ago, over 10 years ago, when we started our church. A calling as a church, our calling as individuals, uh, our calling as people, mothers, fathers, and children, sons and daughters, neighbors, coworkers. It's a calling about what God is leading us into. And once you know your calling, and this goes for any area of life, once you know your calling, uh, life is just so much better. Everything flows from there. Uh, Everything we say yes to as a church flows from our calling. Everything we say no to as a church flows from our calling. And you know, like, life is so much more enjoyable and fruitful and um, exciting when you are in rhythm with that calling. And when you deviate from your calling, life can become frustrating. It can become confusing. You can feel like you've lost your way and you don't know what to do. And it's often because there's a, a, a wandering or a deviation from what God has called you to do. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about our calling. Our calling as a church that's specific to us but broad enough for anyone to join in. And we're called to magnify God's glory um, by connecting people through God or connecting people with God through Jesus and the gift of his grace. We are called to live as God's people uh, by connecting people with one another in meaningful fellowship. And we are called to engage in God's mission by connecting with our communities as we live on mission to proclaim the gospel wherever it needs to be heard. And so these are our three callings, to connect people to God, to connect people to one another, and to connect people to our communities. And we are built and wired, hardwired for connection. 
We're not meant to be isolated. We're not meant to be alone. In fact, this was the only not good proclamation from God at creation was that man was alone. He was disconnected. He was isolated from other humans because none existed. And so God made for him a companion. Adam and Eve then enjoyed then this good relationship uh, that God desired for them. We're built for it. And so part one today... um, I invite you into this calling, and I hope you shape, shape your life around it. Shape your life around this calling. And you'll even have uh, the opportunity to discuss this in your life groups this week as we spend three weeks kind of looking at our calling. So connecting people to God. Uh, would you open up God's word with me as we go uh, to hear from him? Uh, and, and we'll be reading today in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. And this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth, and, and uh, he's talking to them about his ministry and basically our calling in life, his calling, and, and what he hopes that we would embrace as, as our calling as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Through the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. This is God's word. This passage, like really all of the whole chapter of nine, is really about Paul describing adjustments that he has made to his life. Adjustments that he doesn't need to make, but he is making in his life in order to position himself in a better way to win some for the gospel, to proclaim the good word of Jesus to others, to make the gospel as accessible to as many people who are willing to listen. He speaks about becoming all things to all people that by any means possible he would win some. And verse 19 is really the thesis for this whole calling of a follower of Jesus, to connect people to the good news of the gospel, to connect people to God. That is the thesis of his, this passage here and the, the primary center of his calling in all of life, to connect people to God. In verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So this isn't just a a calling for the pastor. It's not just a calling for a missionary or an apostle, but a calling of every Christian to make him or herself a servant of God in order to show and tell of the good news of God's grace. I want to embrace uh, this calling to connect people to God um, by seeing how we need to do these three things that Paul is saying that we must do. We must know the scope of our freedom, we must live as servants, and we must aim for the reward. And by doing these three things, we can embrace this mindset of Paul that he has to connect with the calling of God in his life. Why don't we look first? First, we must know the scope of our freedom. Paul says, though I am free from all. This is a really important phrase. We 
ask ourselves, what does this mean? He says, I'm not a slave to anyone. I do not owe a thing to anyone. And I'm not in debt to anyone in my life. I have no limits. I'm, uh, no one is, is, is holding me down. Now, he's not talking about financial debt or relational servitude. What he's talking about is the freedom that he has from people-pleasing that comes from being anchored in the grace of God. Imagine, no need to people-please. No need in your whole life, no motivation in your life to have to live as one that lives according to somebody else's expectations of you. No anxious living about what the future holds in your life. No people or situations that you need in order to control, to control you or to boost your, your self-esteem or your, your self-worth. No inner turmoil in your life that comes as a result of dwelling on past bad decisions or past failures in your life. No need for self-preservation or pretending to be better than you are in order to earn the favor of others. Imagine that, no need to be completely free from the burden that comes with the assessment of other people on your life. The assessment, the evaluation, the concern that other people have about you. You see, the gospel welcomes a person into this new life where a sense of our freedom does not come from our ability to control our lives but it comes from the fact that we are accepted, adopted, and loved by God. And so when Paul says, I am free from all, he is not saying, I don't care what people think. He is saying, I, being in the grace of God, has freed me and released me from the burden of needing to find my worth in what other people think of me. And that gives him a tremendous freedom. Freedom comes not from what we give up. It comes from what is given to us. Freedom doesn't come from just clearing our plate of all responsibilities. Freedom comes from filling our plate with the right calling that God has given to us. It's the opposite. Uh, I've said this before of the, the Janis Joplin kind of freedom. Where she says, you know, that's the 60s songwriter and singer. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. So it's this story in the song Bobby McGee where she says, uh, I, I, I lost everything in my life, but I had my guitar, and so that's all I needed. And then she was hitchhiking on the road, and Bobby McGee picked her up, and he stole her guitar and left her with nothing. And she says, that's okay because now I have one less thing to worry about. True freedom is just being stripped of all responsibility. That's what she says. Anybody know that reference? All right. I was going to do a Miley Cyrus reference, but I was like, no, let's speak to, like, okay. It's a story of losing everything and then finally finding freedom. See, there's two ways to pursue freedom. One way is to lose everything that weighs you down, lose everything that bothers you, lose every connection to every burden in life, every responsibility, every bill, every obligation, every relationship that is not giving you joy, then lose those things, and then you're truly free. But the gospel speaks so entirely different of freedom. Another way of freedom is, is not defined by what we lose, but by what we gain. It's a kind of freedom that's found in the grace of God. It is about putting primary in our life that, that main calling that we have to connect with God. 
And then we are truly free. Free to what? Free to, to bless. Free to be generous. Free to then invest in the lives that God has given to us. Paul says, I'm free, not because of what I've given up on in life, but because I have been given abundant life. Our pursuit as followers of Jesus is not about getting rid of anything that is a burden in our life. It is evaluating and assessing, is the primary thing in the primary place in our life? Is my relationship with God, connecting with God, the most central thing in my life? Because from that will flow every obligation, every responsibility we have. Imagine that kind of peace that Paul has. I've been accepted by God's grace. I don't have to look for acceptance through people pleasing. I don't have to find my worth in what people think of me. I don't have to control my life because my life is in God's hands. I don't have to fight for my rights and privileges constantly because I'm abundantly secure in the wealth of God's grace. I don't have to insist on every wrong that has been done to me is held accountable because God will preserve me. God will care for me. Imagine that kind of, commit, that, that, that kind of contentment that comes from that kind of freedom. What it does is it loosens your grip on needing to prove your worth to other people through your life and behaviors and actions. It truly makes you free, free to be generous, free to be sacrificial, free to be compassionate. The more love that you realize that you have from God results in more, the more generous you become. The more you realize what you've been given, the more freely you give away. It makes you look beyond your own interests toward the interest of God in this world. And that's Paul's foundation. He says this is where it starts. This is where service and life and all good works that we do, it all builds on this foundation of what God has done for us. It comes from not from what we are giving away, but what God has given to us. That's our foundation. That's our primary calling. And then it leads to this second so radical thing that we must do if we desire to connect people to God. We must live as servants of all. This is where Paul goes. He says, now this is because, because I've been free from all, now I can give myself to all in the most genuine free kind of way. Paul says, I've made myself a servant to all. And it's only in knowing your secure standing in Christ by his grace that we can now actually give ourselves to others in a healthy way. And he elaborates on this a little bit. You've probably noticed that. He explains what does it look like to become all things to all people. He says, when I'm with Jewish people, he submits to the Jewish law. He observes their practices in many ways uh, in front of the Jewish people, even though he is not under the law himself. He says, I'm not bound by this. I'm actually under the law of Christ, which is the law of grace. And I'm not saved by my righteousness, by the, but the righteousness of Christ. But when I'm with you, I will, I will uh, submit myself to these practices in order to win your favor, to win you, to win uh, you for Christ. He says, when I'm with the Gentiles, he would seek to build bridges. But in all things, always being under the law of Christ, never compromising his faith, never assimilating to their values, never assimilating to their idols, never assimilating to their convictions. He maintains his faith and conviction, but finds ways to build bridges to reach them. When he's with the weak and when he's with the despised, he would give up earthly comforts 
in order to gain a window to preach Christ and not to put unnecessary barriers between the gospel and them. And Paul is showing us that followers of Jesus are to live and act in ways that are different from the way that we would naturally live and act as if we had not been saved by grace. We are to live differently because we have been given the freedom that is in Christ. We are to live differently as ones who have everything in Christ. The grace of God transforms and empowers us to replace this consumer-driven mentality in our lives with a life-together mission out of love in community. It is replacing this idea that what I need these things to fill my life. I need these things to bless me. I need these things to be all about me. And coming as a consumer, just to consume and enjoy for our own individual pleasure. And realizing because we have everything in Christ, we don't need to seek that as our primary aim. But we can live life together in the mission of God based on his love for us. And Paul is so satisfied. Don't you see this in this? He's talking about his his service to everyone. He is laboring for the gospel, and yet there is such contentment. There is such peace. He is so filled with the fullness of God in the love of Christ that he is able to lay down his own rights, his own privileges, in order to make the gospel most accessible to the most people possible. Let me remind you that the gospel is not just for non-Christians. It's also for Christians. The gospel, we need to hear this as, most, as much for us uh, who are Christian as those who are not Christian. We are not only saved by the gospel, but we also grow in the gospel, reminding ourselves of the wealth of God's mercy and grace that we have. Paul is so ambitious. Do you see this? He is so driven. He's so ambitious. He has goals. He has plans. He's putting them into practice But there's two kinds of ambition. Ambition for the advancement of your own glory is the definition of vain conceit. But ambition for the advancement of the gospel is the definition of faithful mission. Paul's Paul's saying, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not driven and ambitious and, and, and just wanting to like change the world for my name. That's self-centeredness, that's self-righteousness, that's vain conceit. It ends in our own demise, it ends in our own suffering and pain and humbling. But to be ambitious for the glory of Christ and his name, that is our primary calling in life. I think we should be ambitious also. Not to make our name great, but to make the name of Jesus great. That in doing that, some would come to know him and enjoy the wonderful blessing of knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him, to come to know him, to love him, to worship him, to find abundant life in him. Ambition is not anti-gospel. Ambition for your own glory is anti-gospel. But ambition for God's glory is the very outliving of the gospel. It is the very expression of the gospel. It propels us forward. It moves us forward with great zeal. Imagine a, a soup kitchen with me, if you just would, for a moment. Maybe you volunteered in one. Maybe you've, maybe you've eaten in one. Imagine a full day of, of feeding the homeless, the poor, and, 
and the hungry, and you hang up your apron and you say, what a wonderful day, all the people that we were able to serve, those who were hungry at empty bellies and they did not have the means or the money to eat and we were able to bless them. They're satisfied. What a wonderful day. I want to come back and do this tomorrow. Instead of once a month, I want to do this once a week, maybe even money times a week. We need to do this more. We need to set up another soup kitchen on the other side of town. We need to put these on on every corner to be a, a, a blessing to as many people as possible. And then one volunteer might come up and say, you know, this soup kitchen means so much to me. I've been coming here for 20 years. And I remember when it first started, It was just three employees and two pots of food and maybe 10 people we fed a week. And those were just such intimate times. It was so special. We got to have relationship with these people. And everyone was kind of enjoying time together. And now it's just so busy and so frantic and so disconnected. And and I was comfortable and I was enjoying the personal connection. But now all we do is serve 1,000 people a week. And I'm afraid this soup kitchen is getting too big. And if we do that... It'll make me really sad because I love the intimate days. I love the small, good old days. That person doesn't understand why a soup kitchen exists. That person has lost their calling as a soup kitchen. What they're describing is a social club, a support group. It's not a place where hungry people come to get fed. It is a place where they find belonging and where they find support. You see, this church ought to be like a soup kitchen that gives away free food to hungry people who don't have the means for it. One of the first questions I mentioned this last week that I often get about talking about these two services is, how do you feel about preaching twice a Sunday? That's got to be a lot, more than once, and here's the way I think about it. It's in my best interest to preach just once. I get paid the same whether I preached one sermon or two, but I would preach five services if it meant five more, peop- five more times more people coming to know Jesus, to hear of his love for them. You see, we're not here for our enjoyment merely. We're not here to make the gifts of God's grace individualized only for us. We are meant to be filled with the love of God, filled with the grace of God, so that it pours out of our life. We are here to give away the good news of Christ to as many people who will hear it. You know, maybe the way I'm describing this, this freeness of the gospel like a soup kitchen is, is maybe new to you. The gospel does mean good news. It is news. It is a message that is meant to be broadcast. It is a message that's meant to be proclaimed for people to hear it. And the message is this, is that God is so good And he is full of majesty from from eternity past. And he created man and woman to be called into this relationship of love and trust and meaning and purpose with him and to obey him, to worship him. And they would enjoy this connection together. And men and women lived in such harmony with God, enjoying the fullness of his love. But they did not ultimately trust in him They ultimately believed the devil's lie, that they could be better off without him, that they could be better off as autonomous people. They drifted from God's word and his commands. They rebelled against him. And as a result of their sin, this harmony was broken. This harmony was destroyed with God, with one another, with the creation that God created for them. Creation was broken. Their hearts were broken. Their relationships were broken. It would lead to physical death and relational death, 
death of creation. It would lead to spiritual death. And thankfully, the story doesn't end there, for God spoke promise into creation and to them. And he said, I will restore what you have broken. I will reconcile with you, and it will come through great loss to myself, great expense to myself. God would rescue them. He would save them. You see, Adam and Eve would fail, and generation after them would fail. Generation after generation, person after person would fail over and over and over again. But God would not fail. He would remain faithful. He would remain faithful to his promise. And through the promised Savior, the world would be blessed. The curse of sin would be broken. And people would be once again connected to God in this bond of intimacy and friendship that would give them abundant life. Jesus is that Savior, the one who came and and lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death. He rose in triumphant glory. He ascended into heaven to make a way for us. He opened up the way to heaven for sinners like you and me. Jesus overcame death and all those who believe in his life, death, and resurrection go from having Adam as their source of life to having Jesus as their source of life. And it is because Jesus laid down his rights, it is because he laid down his privileges, it's because he laid down his glory and his freedom that we would have life in him. You see, the gospel is not just good news, or good, it's not just good advice. See, advice would say, Jesus did all this work for you. Look at what he did for you. Now go out and live a life worthy of all that he did for you, showing your appreciation for him. And hopefully at the end of your life, he'll look upon your charity, he'll look upon your record, he'll look upon your efforts, and he'll welcome you into his love forever. That is such horrible advice, (laughs) because none of us can do that. None of us can follow that. There is good news. In spite of all your failure, in spite of all that, he laid down his rights to die in your place so that we can live as servants. And he says, no servant is above their master. If I have laid down my life for you, if I have have served you, then serve one another. To be a servant, to live as a servant, is to epitomize the life of Christ-likeness. Finally, Paul says, There is something in this for me. (laughs) There is something in this for us. I I do aim for a reward. It is not completely ambivalent in the sense that like, I just do this without any sense of pleasure in myself. He says, no, this is incredibly satisfying. There is a reward that I strain for deeply. Let me show you the, the radical mindset of Paul here. He said the greatest reward was knowing that there was nothing that he was doing that hindered anyone from knowing Jesus more. Imagine getting up in the morning with that on your mind. God, don't let me, please God, help me to not do anything today that would get in the way of someone knowing you more. Wow, how our lives would change with that mentality. I wonder if you would change anything if you had that mentality in your life. I wonder if that was your aim, your joy, was 
He says, I, I am so blessed. I am so happy. I am so thankful. And I want you to be so happy as well. And so God forbid that I would do, say, act in any way that would hinder anyone from not having this same joy. So what I will do is I will arrange my life. I will arrange my thoughts. I will arrange my actions, my behaviors, my ambitions, and my dreams to make as many possible and many people possible to come into that blessing. The way you listen, the way you speak, the way you serve, the way you post, the way you respond to conflict, the way you pursue others. Paul says, I'm enjoying connection with God through Jesus Christ so much. It is my greatest joy in all of my life, and I want you to enjoy it as well. Let me ask you this. Do you enjoy anything that much? What do you find yourself uh, sharing the most about? Oh my God, you're not going to, did you see this meme? You know, someone was, someone was here trying to sell us a multi-level marketing thing this morning. Yeah, you guys, no, no, just kidding. Yeah, someone was, you know, it's like, no, this, you got to, I came into this, you got to check this out. It's so great. You got to check this hot sauce out. You got to try out this new pH balanced water. You got to try out this gym. You got to go, have you tried out it? Have you tried the new macaroni and cheese at Trader Joe's? Okay, so all these things, right? Have you ever loved something so much that you just couldn't help but tell other people about it? You will not love Jesus this much until you realize how much he has loved you. You'll not love Jesus this much until you realize that he loves you this much, that he would lay down his rights, that he would lay down his freedom, that he would lay down his privileges, that he would become all things that he would become human, that he would become a murdered human to remove the barrier between his love and our sin. Because you and I have no access to him without him laying it all down. This is the essence of the gospel. This is the essence of Christianity. This great chasm, this great barrier between us and God and Jesus says, I know where I've been, where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know what I deserve. I know the authority in which I exist. And I'm laying it all down for you. Connection was so important to God that he would send his son to die in order to be in a relationship with you. Why two services? Is it more biblical to have two services or one service? I don't know. I don't know. It, the Bible is silent on that. It doesn't forbid it. It does not commend it. It does not command it. And so we are free. We are free. Free to choose. And we should choose the option that makes the gospel more accessible to others while stewarding well the gifts that God has given to us because it's that amazing. Not for our name, not for our reputation, but for the name and reputation of Christ. Each week, I'm going to ask you to live out this calling. Each week, I'm going to ask you to participate in this with us as we pursue to magnify, live, and engage, to pursue this calling to connect people to God, to connect people to one another and to our communities. 
It comes in the form of, of worship. It comes in the form of pursuing others, engaging in sacrificial participation in God's purposes in the church and in the world. It comes in the form of all of us becoming all things to all people so that we may win some. It comes in the form of us being like Jesus. Not, in our, not just in our personal holiness, but also in our outward expression of service and sacrifice and love for others. For this to work, it, it, it requires uh, us to wake up every single morning as God's people and say, God, do not let me exercise my freedom in such a way that gets in the way of people knowing you. Don't let me come to church on Sunday in such a way with an attitude that hinders people from knowing you. Two services, frankly, cannot be sustained without the sacrificial care of so many people. Our call to action is to be all things to all people so that we can connect more people to God through the grace of Jesus Christ. We're going to invite you to serve, not to make Holy Cross great, but to support this great calling that we have been given. We're going to invite you to serve. We need kids Helpers, we need people serving in the kids' rooms every single week. We've doubled our, we're going to double our kids' opportunities. And you might say, I'm not good with kids. Two things come to mind. Everyone who says that, you literally have kids. <laughs> like, figure it out. I'm just not good with little people. You have people under your care. <laughs> Step one. <laughs> Figure out how to talk to little kids. I'll be all things to all people except if they're under 5'2". Come on. Second thing, no one's good with kids. All right? There's three people in this world good with kids, like Jesus, uh, Mr. Rogers, and, and Amanda McBrain, okay, and our kids director, all right? Amen. Yes. It's not your thing. Then make it your thing. No one is born into this world as a humble servant. That's just not my gifting. That's just, no, make it, then make it your gift. Fake it till you make it. There, I said it. Why? Because we are called to be servants to all, not just the ones that you like. We need friendly and welcoming greeters at the door on Sunday morning. And you might say, I'm shy then practice in the mirror before you come. Like seriously, practice in the mirror. Hi, my name is, you know, and, and what's your name? It's hard for me to new, meet new people. Then practice the skill of bravery. Like learn a new skill. You can learn a new skill. You can grow. You can be ambitious. You can say, here's something I'm not great at. I'm going to learn how to be great at it for the glory of Jesus, for the good of his kingdom, so I can be all things to all people. When I'm with the Jewish people, I'm going to figure out what, what, what they're passionate about so that I can serve them. When I'm with the Gentiles, I'm going to figure out how to serve them. When I'm with the poor and needy, I'm going to listen to them, and, and, and I'm going to forsake things that get in the way of them hearing the gospel. We need people with a general disposition to be humble and to be loving and to be sacrificial. And you might say, I just have too much going on then start taking things off your plate. If you have too much going on, 
to connect people to God, you are not living out your calling. We have so many talented, capable, gifted men and women in this church, some of which with extraordinary competencies, who have forgotten that their primary calling in life is to be a servant in order to connect people to God. There is nothing more important. God, don't let me get in the way of being used by you to connect people to you. But asking me to introduce myself to someone I don't know, that's just asking way too much. I know it's hard. There's a lot of hard things. There's a lot of hard things that come with being a part of a diverse community of people trying to live life together, trying to grow together. It is very hard. In fact, maybe even the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. But here's the call to action. So I want you, I want to invite you to say, okay, God, where can you use me? Where can I be a blessing? Where can I serve? Can it, can it be in, in, in kids and in hospitality? Can it be with tech? Can it be with worship? Can it be uh, serving as a backup for kids? Can it be hosting a life group, leading a life group, planning parties, serving communion on Sunday? We need musician and tech volunteers. And the more you help, the lighter the burden is. And that's just good math and physics. <laughs> Those who are serving like this, so many of you, are serving like this already, and there are so many, and, and maybe the call to action for you is just to remember. Remember why you labor like this. Maybe that's just what you need. It's just some reminding of like, this isn't because you just have to grit your teeth and do it. Remember the great blessing that you have in Christ. Remember the reward that we aim for. Remember the calling to be a servant and say, oh yeah, that's why I do it. And then to feel that affirmation from Christ himself who says, well done. You're doing what I asked you to do. You're being like me. I have served you and now you are serving me. And so remember what motivates you. Should we lay down our rights and comforts and privileges in order that more people can be invited to the table of God's grace where they are fed the gospel, the free gospel of his grace? We shouldn't let anything stop us. Nothing should get in our way of doing that. In fact, shame on us if we don't do that. That's what Paul says. Those are his words. It's, he says, woe is me if I don't do this. What am I alive for if I am too occupied, too busy, too distracted to give my life to others for the sake of the gospel? It is free. We've enjoyed the goodness of the gospel. Let's give it away as much as we can. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.